Hey friends, Nels here. Thanks for tuning in to the Journey Church Podcast. Today we're in a message series called Parables, where we're looking at how Jesus used small stories to teach big ideas. Let's tune in to see how these parables can impact our lives. Welcome. My name is Mark. If you forgot or you weren't paying attention, that's not a shot, but we just got to get that out of the way so I, make, so I know that you guys are all like locked in. Um, whoops. Uh, before we get started, there's two things I want to say before we go ahead and jump into the scriptures. The first is this. I, I don't know what your morning was like. Uh, I actually don't know what your last week was like. I don't know what your summer's been like. Um, and if you're like me, life can get hard sometimes. So uh, I just want to say up front that I am really glad that you're here. Uh, whatever, whatever's going on in your life right now, uh, I'm really glad that we can gather like this together. Uh, the second thing on a little bit of a lighter note is as one of your student ministries directors, I spend a lot of time with students. Um, high schoolers have a little bit more swag than us who are over 20. And so, whoa, that was like a really serious note for someone who's saying swag on stage, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> but what, what I want to communicate is that there's probably some lingo that I use that I want to catch you up on. And if some of it slips into the sermon, you're just going to have to bear with me, okay? So, so the first word that I use, uh, if you know me, is I use the word fam. And it's short for family, if you couldn't figure that out. And I, I feel like that's pretty appropriate because we're like a church family. Woo! Second word uh, is, is friends. I, I don't know everybody's name. I wish I did. If I don't know you, uh, come find me afterwards and we can get to chat. But uh, if, I, if I slip in there, friends, you now know. And I, if, you, if you really do know me, I'd like to think we're all friends here, you know? Like, that's just who I am. And the, the third word is probably like the weirdest. It's not a bad word. Uh, it, it's homie. If you know me, I actually call my friends homie. I'm very well aware of the color of my skin and that I live in Montana. Um, but, but sometimes I actually use the word homie to articulate like, you're my friend, you're my cool friend. Um, and they're all supposed to be endearing terms, but just to catch you up. All right. Enough about me. Back to the, to the parables message. Uh, if you're new or if you're catching up or you just want me to say it because it's right, oh, it's behind me. We're in, a, we're in a series called Parables and we're looking at these, these parables, these stories that Jesus told at particular times when he was with the disciples, sometimes uh, the sinners and sometimes the Pharisees, just with crowds. Um, and today I'm really excited. We're actually gonna talk about one of my favorite parables and Jesus's favorite parable. So he picked a good one to come to. And if you're anything like me, you'll read the Bible looking for an answer, right? Like we are established, life, life happens, life, life is there. And sometimes we can have questions and I don't know, either I'll go to Google or I'll go to the Bible. And when we look at the parables, I think it can be really easy to kind of be confused. Like Jesus even says in some places, like to those who have ears, let them hear, to those who, have under, like, who can understand. And we, we look at these parables and we're like, man, what is like the secret truth that Jesus is trying to get at? And if we can just get that, we'll be good. And, and I don't think, like to me, that seems a bit lacking. That seems a bit lifeless. That doesn't seem like the Jesus who, who as he laughs and talks and interacts and, and cries with us and leads us to a new life and, and transformation and, and, and a calling. That doesn't seem like the same Jesus. And so my, my little contention this morning is that I think there's more to parables than just figuring out the point. And before we dive in, I'm going to tell a story of my own. 
at the end of all this, if you, you can tell me, if, hey, Mark, I liked your story better than Jesus's. You can decide. You make that choice, no pressure. I'm going to already tell you I like Jesus's more, but that's okay. Uh, so once upon a time, there's this family of four. The boy is like five. We'll say five. Boy is five. His older sister is seven. No, we don't care about how old the parents are, their parents. Sorry, parents. So there's this family of four. The mom and dad leave to go get groceries and they trust the five-year-old boy and the seven-year-old girl to be at the home and to not die or burn anything down. What is boy gonna do? Boy is gonna be stoked on life and run to his sister in her room and be like, please, 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 please play with me. Because everybody knows a five-year-old boy wants nothing else in the world but to play Power Rangers with the coolest older sister ever. What does a seven-year-old girl want to do? Not play Power Rangers with her little brother. She wants to like look at magazines and do girly things. And so she's going to go find mom's magazine or find one of her own. And she's on her stomach like reading this magazine. And the little boy's like, play with me. So finally, the sister goes, okay, I'll play with you. Like, probably doesn't make eye contact with the boy, you know, but the boy is just like, you, you said yes. Like, after the magazine, we're going to play, woo. Runs out of her room, through the house, out of the garage, into the backyard. And for the next 10 minutes, he's like scoping out the best spot. Like, okay, not that tree. That tree. Behind that tree is where it's going to go down. Like, that's where we're going to fight the boss and the villain. Sister in hand, we got this. I'll be the Red Ranger, you be the pink one. But then 10 minutes passes. Sister's not outside yet. So the boy's a little confused. He's like, what? Where's, where's my sister? So he goes back inside and he finds his sister in her room. And the only thing he can notice, you guys, is that she has a different magazine. And he's crushed. He's like, you lied to me. So he kind of hangs his head and he goes back out and the sister follows him. And the only thing that's separating them is here's the sister, garage house door. Here's the brother. It's this one door. And, he, and his hurt really quickly turns to anger. And he's like, you lied to me. Next thing you know, five-year-old boy nails the door and the, like the window glass shatters. Goes everywhere down the stairs to the basement. Don't worry, the sister is safe. She's out of the projectile range of the glass. And that's that story. Next, we see this dynamic duo also playing, but they're not playing Power Rangers. They're playing karate in the basement. Basement. Concrete side, carpeted side. Where do you think they're playing? Concrete side. Everybody knew that. You were just scared to say it. Like they're, they're five and seven. Of course they're playing karate on the concrete side. Okay, here we go. Ready? Little boy. If you know things about five-year-old boys, you know he's trying to impress his sister. How do you impress somebody with karate? Oh, yeah, well, can you kick up here in the head region? Some, some people are flexible. This boy is not. He swings his leg. He fully commits. Swings his leg. Right leg goes up. This is where the slow motion happens. His left leg comes up too. Boy ends up totally horizontal, and the brother and sister make eye contact. Boof. Boof. Boy hits concrete. Okay. Stepping out of that story. Which of those experiences is more painful? The second story where we see the boy like nailing his back and Tylenol ibuprofen a couple days sore back. Or, or this first story where he, he feels a sense of rejection, right? 
And maybe he's a little bit more scared, a little bit more hesitant to ever ask his sister to play with him again. Okay, so we'll fast forward a little bit. And now the, the, the little boy is in college. Parents are like, woo, he made it to the university. She's not super messed up. But the boy is at a, at a college party, doing whatever college people do at a college party, trying to fit in and be like everybody else. And this familiar feeling of rejection sinks in from when he was a little boy. And he's wondering, why, why is no one engaging with me? And a whisper says, these friends of yours don't really care about you in his head. And we fast forward one more time in the last portion of this story. And this young boy has grown up and he's married now. And he comes home from a long day's worth of work, he eats dinner with his wife, and then he goes to bed. And he's laying next to his wife, the woman of his dreams, and he rolls from his back to his side. And he can't explain it, but he's never felt so lonely. So the reason I bring up those stories is I want to ask you this question. Have you ever experienced rejection? Have you ever experienced rejection? How did you process it? Well, what, what I think can happen if we're not careful so we can take those moments of rejection, those experiences, and we can project them onto God. We actually use them to describe God. And, and if you think about it, have you ever had like a passion or something you were super excited about but someone told you, nah, that doesn't, that doesn't align with God. There's no room for that in the kingdom. God doesn't enjoy that and he doesn't enjoy what you enjoy, just like that little boy who wanted to play. Have you ever just gone along with emotions with everybody, whether it was at a party or, or, or a Sunday morning gathering like this? The room is filled with people, but you feel alone. Have you ever been trying to sleep at night and you can't, and you, and you remember what people say? God loves you. He's so near to you, but you feel alone. And, and, and this creeps in your head and you begin to wonder, is this God rejecting me? Can I really not take what happened this morning or last night or 10 years ago? Is that too ugly for him? And, and if we really want to know what God's like, I propose that we need to look nowhere further than Jesus. And it's here in the story we're going to talk about together, Luke 15, that Jesus beautifully lays it all in the line. And he says, this is who God is. This is what he's like. This is how he thinks and acts towards us. My, my little warning before we jump in is this. I think Rich Mullen says it better than I could. I hope that in the course of your life, you encounter God. But let me warn you, God is a wild man. Should you encounter him, hang on for dear life. Or perhaps let go for dear life is a better way to say it. And to which I would add, this story, to, to, to hear this story, to maybe get a glimpse of the truth of this story would show us a God, maybe we would encounter a God that we've only dreamed of. So let's jump in. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was even associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that was lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it on his shoulders. And when he comes home, he will call together all of his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who returns to God over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or 
Jesus says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully for it until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call on her friends and her neighbors. She will say, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you there is more joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between both of his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land where he then wasted all of his money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he was starving. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the field to work with the pigs and to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods and the slop he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. When he finally came to his senses, he said this to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and I will say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please, would you take me on as your hired servant? So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him though, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer even worthy of being called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the fattened calf. We must celebrate. For my son was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but he is now found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. But the older brother was angry and wouldn't go inside. His father came out and begged him, but the older son replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you've ever asked me to do. And in that time, you never even gave me a goat for me and my friends. Yet this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes and you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We have to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead. He's come back to life. He was lost and now he is found. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you so much for this time and, and for all of us who are here. Most of all, thank you that you are who you are. God, I, I would ask that you would um, humble me, that you, that you would speak through me, you would speak to all of us what you want to communicate to us this morning. God, as we try and follow you and figure out who you are, would we, would we quiet the, the noise of life? Would we, would we be honest about the baggage we have? And would we hear what you have to say and, and maybe glimpse who you really are? I love you, we love you. Thanks that you love us first. Amen. Okay, those are three stories. We're just gonna talk about the last one. The prodigal son, two sons, and his father. And the first question on your notes page is what is Jesus trying to illustrate? In verse 11, it says, to illustrate this point further, 
Jesus told him this story. We're actually gonna answer that question towards the very end of this morning. But here's the story that Jesus told. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now, before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Okay, pause. Let's, let's all get on the same page about what's going on here. Younger brother, this younger son, what he's doing, is he says, dad, I want my inheritance. We all know inheritance. You don't normally get them until your parents pass on and they give it to you. He says, can we pretend that you're dead? Because I really want your money. And the shocking thing of the father is that he does it. And so in verse uh, 12, that so, so his father agreed to divide his wealth. That's a big so. Like, first of all, like dad's in the crowd. If your son said this to you, would you give them the money? I'm not a dad. I can't answer this for you. Dad's where you at? Thank you. No, you wouldn't. And back in that time, can we, can we be real about what that was? That was not, hey, I'll cash the IRA account and give you the, give you the money. I'll, I'll drain the savings and give it to you. He had to liquidate what he owned. He had to like, either sell property, buy a smaller house to rent for the family. He had to get rid of cattle, the livestock, like what he had, just to give it to the son. And he says he actually gave it to both sons. He divided it to both sons. And what's funny is we, we were not told why the younger brother asked this. We don't know why he asked for the money, but it doesn't really matter. What does it matter if he was trying to go find himself, if he, if he felt rejected somewhere and he was trying to go feel accepted somewhere else, or if he was trying to prove something to himself or someone else? We don't know. But can, but can we relate to that? Have you ever just made a decision that you're gonna follow like this pursuit, this selfish pursuit or desire, no matter what the cost, no matter if it meant hurting this person, someone you love, someone you didn't know, some, some stranger? In verse 13, A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. This is kind of a little side note, but I'm like, I just thought about this this morning. It says a few days later, no one likes to pack. We can be honest about that. Can you imagine the tension in the house as the younger son's packing? Dad, I wish you were dead. Can I have some money? Dad gives him the money. Older brothers, we haven't heard anything from him yet. And then there's like a couple days of him packing in the house. And then it says he goes off to a distant land. And what's going on there is that by distant land, it's saying not a Jewish land the others, the non-Jewish, the Gentiles. He went off there. Wild living. He says he wasted all of his money on wild living, right? And we can hear that and we're like, uh, Mark, I don't, I don't spend my money on prostitutes or drugs or, like, I'm not that bad. I, I didn't waste all of it. Guys, he, he took his inheritance and he, he went for whatever he could and what everybody else was doing to try and satisfy himself. Surely we've done that. We, we've looked around us and said, I'm not satisfied. What's everybody else doing? And we put a lot of chips in that bag. Have you ever ran a selfish desire all the way to its end? Like maybe someone, maybe someone you love let you do it. And at the end of your rope and, and you're sitting there, you're standing there and you're like, I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. 
Not only did his money run out, but a great famine hit the land at the same time. It's like that movie scene, the main character, man, it can't get much worse. Rain clouds. It's like, oh, are you kidding me? That's what we see going on in this picture. And then he, he had to persuade the farmer to hire him. It wasn't like, hey, can I have a job, job interview? Sweet. He had to like convince and beg this farmer to hire him. And then this is a Jewish young boy amongst pigs. That is the lowliest of the low jobs. What, let's use our imagination. What would that be like for us now? And when it says that he's so hungry that he wanted to eat the sloth that he was feeding the pigs, it's as if to say, man, you wasted your money on women and, and, and drugs and drinking and all of that. You wasted it all on wild living. And there's shame in that, right? But now he's amongst the pigs. So it's not just there's shame in what he did, but there's, wow, you fell that far? We're not just hanging on to the end of the rope. We dropped the rope. We are in the darkness. And we're like, how did I get here from where I started? Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses. In another translation, it says, when he had this moment of self-reflection, he said this to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please, would you take me on as a hired servant? So you're, you're in the darkness, you're in the muck, you have nothing. What do you do? Have you ever like been so ashamed, so afraid of being rejected, but you weren't happy so you knew you had to do something else when you finally had that moment of self-reflection? So what does this young boy do? He thinks of this grand apology. I don't know about you, but I've done enough things in my life where I've had to say sorry. And I've had to confess things. I've had to be honest about things because they affected other people. And some things that we have to say are so ugly that we're like, ah, like, is there any way around this? No, there's not. Well, maybe if I can just think of this grand apology, if I can do something, I can sway this person's compassion or mercy and I won't be totally rejected. And, and, and this young boy's fear of rejection is actually super real <laughs> because in the Jewish culture, if you left and you wasted your inheritance in a foreign land, and you tried to come back, there would be something called a kizazah ceremony. Kizazah means literally cut off. And what the ceremony would entail is they, they would, the village would fill this jar with burnt beans and they would crash it on the ground and they would disown the person. So not only is this boy thinking, I have to say sorry, but he's also knowing that that's how his community is gonna receive him again. They're not gonna receive him. So he thinks, maybe if I can sway my father, if I can get a little ounce of compassion out of him, maybe I can just come on as a servant and not a son anymore. Verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with compassion and love, he ran to his son, he embraced him and he kissed him. Pause right there. Whether we've heard this story or we've, this is the first time, Imagine Jesus saying that in the story. Imagine that beautiful line as Jesus is saying that the, the notorious sinners are listening, the Pharisees are listening, the disciples are listening, there's this crowd. And each one of them is trying to figure out what Jesus is trying to say here. And Jesus has this smirk and he's like, and while he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming. 
And, and that word for ran is actually Olympic sprint, which we have a super good visual for. Like we know, we know what Usain Bolt looks like when he's sprinting. Here comes the father. He's sprinting towards his son. We're gonna talk about what the father's wearing real quick. He's wearing a robe. How do you sprint in a robe? Not easily. He rolls up his robe and there's these white, white legs. And if you're a Middle Eastern dad and you show your legs, it's shameful and embarrassing. You do not do that. But the father says, the heck with it and sprints. He shames himself to sprint after his son. And it's funny, we actually see when he meets his son, he embraces him and he kisses him. And the word for kiss is not just, it's like snot kisses, continual repeated kissing. Which is funny, that's not really a picture of a dad that we see. The father's kind of acting like a mom with this compassion and this love towards her son. What does the son do? Verse 21. His son, said to it, his son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son anymore. But his father said, Eugene Peterson's, the message version says, but the father wasn't even listening. He turns to the servant, quick, bring the finest robe, bring a ring for his finger, bring sandals for his feet and kill that calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. I think the father knew that the community was ready to have the, the kizazah ceremony. But the heck if the father was gonna let his son be rejected. So he ran to him. Whose robe was the finest in the house? The father's, the head of the house. He says, servant, grab my robe and put it on my son. Grab a ring and instate him as a part of the family. Grab sandals for his feet. We're coming home. We're gonna have a party. Tell everybody. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of his servants, what is going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother is angry and wouldn't go in. You know what's interesting? Before we all do this, before we peg the older brother as the jerk judgment Pharisee type guy, no one invited him to the party. Verse 25 says the older brother was in the field and he came home and heard music and dancing in the house. If you came home to your house and there was a party being thrown and no one invited you, how would you feel? I would be so hurt. I, and I would be pissed. <laughs> but instead of going into the party and figuring out what was going on, he stays outside and he lets his hurt turn into anger. And in the next, next verse, we actually see he unloads this crazy deep sense of rejection that he's been carrying for who knows how long. His father came out and begged him, but this was the older son's reply. All these years I've slaved for you and never once, did a single, never once did I refuse to do a single thing you told me to do. And all that time you never gave me a single goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Parentheses, are you kidding me? Here we see that the older son 
has never really felt accepted or loved by the father. By the, by the picture of the father we have, we know it's probably not that the father didn't love him, but the older son never felt it. In fact, he says, if you really loved me, you would have given me this and that. He takes it one step further. You love the other son more. Won't even call him his brother. Classic like human move, right? When we're hurt and we're angry, we separate ourselves as much from that other person as we can. He's not his brother. He's just another son. And before I move on to verse 31, can we imagine what's going on in the father's head and in his heart? First, he has his first son or his second son saying, I wish you were dead. Will you give me money? (sighs) Okay, sell stuff. Here you go. Then his son leaves. And I get the sense that this is somewhat of a wise father. And so a wise father would know that his son's gonna waste it and be empty and be alone. So he's worried about his younger son. And then he comes home and he's been waiting for him and he runs to him and he sprints and he convinces the community, there's there's no need for rejection. Let's throw a party. Only to step right outside the house. And his older son is like this mess? Dad, like I don't even think you really love me and, and... your son, like, I'm not even calling my brother. That's what the father is now dealing with. So what's his response to the older son? Verse 31, the father said to his older son, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. He welcomes the older brother just like the younger brother. Nothing phases this father for his sons not feeling fully accepted. Not the younger son running away, not the older son being a party pooper and being hurt. And that's the end of the story. We don't know what happened to the older brother. So let's zoom back out. What's the point that Jesus is trying to make here? Make here. And that first question in our notes page. It's in all three parables, and especially this last one. That which is lost will be found. Those who are rejected will be accepted. That which is lost will be found, and those who are rejected will be accepted. Your second question is this. Why, why didn't Jesus just say that? I, can, I, I, I believe and sometimes imagine Jesus telling a story with tears in his eyes. Because he's ruthlessly attacking the Pharisees' view on God. He's attacking their theology, but he doesn't want to attack them. He wants the Pharisees, the notorious sinners, and his disciples, and anyone else in the crowd to know who God is and what he's like. And so he tells a story. He tells a story that will connect with everybody. We hear this story, and it's so hard not to see ourselves somewhere in this. And I think he tells the story because Jesus knows they're not going to remember everything I teach them. They'll remember how they felt around me. And and how did people feel around Jesus when we read the gospels and we see how he taught, how he asked questions and the decisions he made? Did people feel accepted by him? Oh yeah. But even more than that, we get this sense from Jesus. all, All three of these parables in this story was brought up by one thing, the Pharisees saying, you're eating with sinners? And Jesus is like, oh, you guys, you don't get it. Because he's eating with the sinners and he's communicating with the disciples and he's he's asking questions to the Pharisees all for the same reason. 
He's like, if you could just meet the real God, you would get it and everything would change. If anyone could have won a theological debate, don't you think it was the son of God? But does Jesus care about winning an argument? No, he cares about people, all people. Again, who's rejected in the story? The older brother? No. The younger brother? No. The father's arms are open wide. Today I've been married to my wife, Devin, for exactly a month. Thank you. Yep, you guys missed her. She was at the nine. I, bummer. Uh, and I get to go home and quite literally be with a woman of my dreams. That's awesome. And yet I've had sleepless nights. And I process this rejection and, and this loneliness. I'm like, how is that possible? And as I process this, a friend showed me this prayer that I want to share with you guys. Every morning for the next 30 days, sit down in a chair, close your eyes, upturn your palms, and pray this one phrase over and over. Abba, I belong to you. Abba is Arabic for dad. It's a prayer of exactly seven syllables, the number that corresponds perfectly to the rhythm of our breathing. As you inhale, Abba, as you exhale, I belong to you. And I'm telling you about this prayer for a couple reasons. One is I'd invite you like me to practice receiving grace and to verbally out loud speaking truth of who you are, who I am, who we are, which is and will only ever be determined by who God says we are. And my second reason I told you this is is to like Rich Mullen said earlier, to warn you. If you experience this love and acceptance, to belong to the Father, it will change you. For me, whether as a new husband or someone trying to walk in the same footsteps as my Savior, Jesus, the more I feel belonged by the Father, the more I live life day by day with my wife, the more I realize, friends, it's not about me. As a husband, it is not about me. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, as someone who belongs to God, it is not about me. So fam, here's the question, front and center. Are you becoming like the Father? And there's not any guilt in that question. I'll ask it again this time with with some hope and with some joy. Are you becoming like the Father? Are you sprinting towards others? Are you wholeheartedly inviting those around you to the party? Are, Are you walking just a couple feet right outside where the older brother is? And yes, they're hurt. Yes, they're angry. And you can bet they're making sure everybody knows they're hurt and they're angry. But are you inviting them to the party? Are you begging them to come to the party like the father was? And just what is, what is this party? The father opens his arms and his doors. Are you inviting people into your life? Because remember, following Jesus is not about you. Can we be honest for a second? We need each other. 
I don't know who decided that the Christian life was an independent life. Heck, I don't know who decided that we should even try life alone. You are a certain small person in a certain place at a certain time with certain relationships, certain gifts, and certain opportunities. And this is a scarred world full of death, violence, suffering, pain, rejection. All of that is in this room. All of that is with the people next to you. If, if, even if you don't know them, that doesn't change what's going on. That's for people outside of this room who you know or who you don't know are also going through those same things. So let's be like our great God and throw parties with great love. You know what makes the best party? It's not what's there, it's who's there. I'll give us some time to to sit and have our own moments of self-reflection and then I'll pray for us all over the top. Father, thanks again for this time, for, for this morning, for everyone here. Spirit, I I would ask that you would would talk with us, you would whisper things, and that you would even quiet some of the noise in our lives to hear from you. God, would you help us to remember maybe these two questions? Have we met the Father? Have we met the God of this parable? And And are we becoming like you, Father? We give the rest of the day to you. We trust you. We love you. And would your love change us? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.